of the Notesman Library podcast. As always, I'm your host, Emma, and today we're going to part two of the Hannibal Lecter episode. So last episode, we talked about the book series, and today we're talking about the TV series that aired from 2013 to 2015 on NBC, and it stars Hugh Dancy as Will Graham and Mad Michelson as Hannibal Lecter. And before we get started, I know there is this fuzzy like background noise, and is because um, the AC vent is right above me, and because I now live in Tennessee, and it's been a solid 95 degrees every single day, the AC is constantly going, and so I'm trying to work around, I'm trying to understand when it goes on, when it doesn't, how to properly record around it, because I've already, I got my first hate comment, it was someone saying, hey, your audio sucks now, I'm like, thanks bud, I know, I'm working on it. Okay, <laughs> so please excuse that. I'm going to try to work around and maybe try to find a different um, space or maybe a different time. I'm kind of hoping that maybe when it gets cooler, uh, the AC won't be on as much. So I'm trying to work around that. As you can tell, the audio levels have been a little bit off because it's experimenting. And of course, now I have a roommate that's right next door to me, and I'm just trying to figure out this new environment on how to properly record these. So please bear with me just for a little bit as I'm trying to work on it. I'm always trying to put the best product out there, but sometimes there's nothing I can do and I can make it as best as I can in post-production, but as long as that vent is above me and it's kind of loud, no matter where I am in my room, you can hear it. And there's even one in the living room, so you can also hear it there too. So... I'm trying my best, but you're probably going to hear that little fuzzy. I'm trying to cut out, like, big spaces between my words, hoping that it's not as bad, that my voice kind of covers it a little bit, but there's only so much I can do. I cannot rip the AC vent out of the roof, and being it's about 95 degrees and extremely humid in Tennessee, I don't want to rip my AC out of the roof plain and simple and I would also be charged a lot of fines if I was to do that. So the Hamble TV show I think is one of my favorite TV shows ever and I think objectively speaking it's probably one of the best made TV shows ever and it had such a low budget for it. I can think of a billion other shows that have much higher budget for it and they made they used every ounce of that budget to make a fantastic show. And so we're going to talk about primarily Hannibal and then a little bit about Will at the end, but I definitely think Hannibal, well, the show is named after him, and the whole book series is kind of about him, even though, like, Clarice and Will seem to be, like, the main protagonist, but without Hannibal, like, nothing would happen, and there wouldn't be a story. I think that kind of shows just how good of an antagonist he is, and how good of a character that he is, that even though he's technically not the main character, he carries everything. And so we're going to primarily be talking about Hannibal, and how Mads and the show portrays him, and then also kind of the other aspects of the show that create such a compelling story around it, because when I tell you I've never seen a TV show like this, and probably will never see a TV show like this again, I think there will probably be cheap carbon copies of it, because all of a sudden now the Hannibal series has kind of had like a revival a couple years ago. I'd say probably like 2019, all of a sudden there was like a big revival of it again, and everyone I knew started watching it again or they were watching it for the first time, and that's when I tuned in for the first time watching it. 
because it had originally been out from 2013 to 2015. And I don't know about you, I was definitely not going to watch this when I was 13 because it was definitely not appropriate. I was still watching Disney Channel in 2013. But I definitely think there is a resurgence of it, and I definitely think it is a good place for people to take notes. Like, hey, this is how you properly make a TV show, and this is how you respect your audience, and how you make a compelling story and not the shit garbage that now we get all the time, because how many remakes do we need and even though this is kind of like a remake spinoff they took it in their own way they don't even consider it a remake of silence of the lambs because honestly it doesn't even cover the same subject matter it is a complete different story that is happening than compared to the books and the movies it's almost as if they just kind of borrow these characters and put them in a whole different scenario which i think kind of brings more and i wish if tv shows were to make spinoffs like this i wish they would do it like this and not just make reruns i wish they would take the characters and kind of put them in a different situation and kind of see what would happen so i think there's a lot you can do with it i definitely think the show shows you can bring back a character that's already beloved and make it your own way and make it different and still have it be beloved because hopkins and mads two very talented actors and two people that took the character in completely different ways and both have won awards and are highly, highly regarded as good actors after doing uh, Hannibal. And I definitely think that shows. So getting into it, I think the primary focus of Hannibal and the TV show is what makes it scary and what makes it it. And I think it is not a typical horror show. American Horror Story or even like early Supernatural, that's a horror genre. I don't think... Hannibal is a strict horror. I think it's more of a philosophical and psychological horror. And why Why would you say that? I'm sure that's the question a lot of you were asking. Wouldn't it be? The main difference between the show and the movies is that Hannibal, the TV show, and Silence of the Lambs are told from two different perspectives. Hannibal, the TV show, forces you to look at, at Hannibal and his world through his lens as well as Will Graham. And we see everything through Hannibal or Will's uh, lenses. And because Will has this extreme empathy, his view is also shifting to mash with Hannibal's. So pretty much the entire show is told through Hannibal's eyes, and we are seeing it through him. It's important to respect the audience, and we're going to be talking about this more in an episode I have about Peaky Blinders. But this show and... Peaky Blinders, so Hannibal Peaky Blinders, are two of the few shows that when watching it, I never felt like the writers were talking down to me as an audience member, and they clearly understand that the audience is smart, and that respect also helps us to make Hannibal understand his actions, that are not, and it does not sound preachy. Most of the runtime is the director, Mads, and the, sh- and the writers showing us his way of thinking, and so that when we see him act in these savage ways, we're kind of desensitized to it and we start to understand him the same way Will does and that's why us and Will Graham are so affected by him and influenced by him. I once had a teacher that actually told me, and well I've actually had so many teachers, so many writing teachers tell me your audience is stupid, you need to beat them over the head with stuff. And I think that's the exact opposite. I know audiences are very smart. I mean, we have in-depth conversations here and we understand each other. We read intense books and we understand that we've watched TV shows and documentaries and movies just on our own and we understand your audience is smart. And as a writer, I don't think there's anything more disrespectful than disrespecting your audience and treating them like a child. I mean, if you're watching Hannibal 
you have a level of maturity and years on you that you understand what you're getting into, I feel like. You understand the story and you understand the depth that comes with it. It's not like we're reading Give a Mouse a Cookie. I mean, we're not children. I definitely think a lot of times now in Hollywood, everything is so... Let me beat you over the head with this and there's no nuance to it. And I think that nuance and that level of it also kind of shows how special the show Hannibal is because it lets us think and it lets us put things together, lets us theorize about it. And that's why so many people have so many different opinions and ideas on what different things represent. And at the end, when we start to work our way more into Hannibal's mind and we start to see his life through his lens and how he does it, and we start to see him more as a character and not just the serial killer, because again, we're not seeing him through the lens of someone else, like how in Silence of the Lamb we see him through Clarice's lens. We are looking through him and through his eyes almost. And we just like how Hannibal is manipulating Will, the show is manipulating us asking both the audience and Will to give Hannibal empathy and to see things from his perspective. And how it does it is the show balances showing Hannibal in an evil light where he can brutally murder people without any hesitation, while also showing us moments of caring. Like, I always remember how he flips a coin when Jack's wife is about to commit suicide, and he's like, I can't do that, Bella, and he ends up saving her. And even throughout the whole show, he always seems to have this little bit of empathy and sympathy for Jack after his wife dies and he's so kind to Bella during it and then there's scenes where he's brutally murdering people and the scenes are back to back from one another so there's this balance of Hannibal having this really dark side and then these small glimpses of him treating people like human which is rare and is kind of an act but it's almost as if he's trying to continue that persuasion of other people that he's a good person on the outside and we kind of fall for that a little bit because I'm always like oh he had such like a nice relationship with Bella and then I realized no he would have killed her if she stood in the way or if that coin flipped the other way like what could have happened or what if she found out but we've come to both expect the good and the bad from Hannibal I think that is kind of what makes him dangerous to even the audience is that we have fallen for his act and we've fallen for this Oh, Hannibal's a good guy, like deep down there there's a good side to him, where there's not, there's not a good side to him, but we, his charm and his kind of way of maneuvering around people isn't always like the snake-like feeling, like sometimes there is this smooth gentleman that could sweep you off your feet and you're just caught up with it, I mean he sweeps so many people off his feet with this, and how many fan edits do we see of people be like, I love Matt Mickelson as Hannibal. I mean, I love Matt Mickelson as Hannibal too. I have to man. I'd be like, if Hannibal came up to me looking like Matt Mickelson, I'd be like, okay, I'll have the salad. I'm not going to put anything, nothing else in the salad. But I mean, like, I'll have the salad. I'll dabble a little bit. I'll have a glass of wine. Like, because also just this aura around him. I mean, the suits. The wine, the smile, how polished he is, there's something about him. And he's able to lure people in with this kind, intelligent side to him, and then he strikes when no one is expecting. One of my favorite ways that Mads plays him is there's this subtle nuance to him, and there's these subtle little hints that he has. You can see his eyes or his jaw shift in the blink of an eye when he's inside he wants to kill someone. His smile can tell the audience the difference between who's going to be spared and who is not. And as the season goes on, you start to notice, like, oh, he smiled like that, like this person's dead. 
Like, that's it. There's no turning back from this. And actually, one of my favorite things that Mads does is when Jack comes to see Hannibal for the first time, they're in his office, they're in Dr. Lecter's office, and they're looking at, like, these uh, drawings that he has, and as Jack is walking around and kind of, like, interrogating him a little bit, Hannibal is so, like, on edge from it, and you actually see him, I think it's a scalpel, because it looks like one, but I don't know if that is one or if there's a different term, but he's using it to sharpen pencils a little bit. You actually see him hide that in his uh, jacket sleeve, and it's not until Alana Bloom is mentioned, and Jack kind of laughs a little bit, like kind of like opens the door for a friendlier conversation, does Hannibal kind of slip that uh, little blade away and puts it on his desk, and Jack never notices it, and it's such a subtle detail that I did not notice it the first time, and it wasn't until the second time that I noticed that that happens. So there's this little new, there's these little subtle movements that he has that is different because when we see other serial killers, either in this show or in other shows or movies, we see them as these violent outbursts where Hannibal is so calculated and he always has this uh, outward-facing stoic presentation that nothing can get through to him and that he's not planning anything and that he's just trying to be friendly or that he's not giving in to anything. And then all of a sudden you have little moments like that where like his jaw shifts or his eyes gloss over or he has a little blade that he puts back down his desk and goes, oh, that was in his hand and he could have killed someone with that. One of the main things also with it is because we are seeing this through Will and Hannibal's eyes and Hannibal from the beginning has been the psychopathic killer and Will is slowly going down that path we kind of have this moment where we're staring into the abyss and who stares back at us it's Hannibal and this is a Nietzsche, a Nietzsche idea that um, if you stare into the abyss the abyss will stare back at you and the abyss is the terms for the deepest and darkest parts of our mind where kind of like our other egos or our dark thoughts lurk and so when Will looks into the abyss or when Alana does or when Jack does or even when we do as the audience who is staring back at us it is Hannibal who's been pulling the strings the entire time and actually as Will goes farther down into it he no longer sees Hannibal staring back at him he starts to see himself and so we start to wonder if we're rooting for Will, or if we're rooting for Hannibal the entire time because we've been manipulated to A, follow Hannibal, and because Will is this underdog, so we want to root for him from the beginning, and we're watching both of them continue to go down this path, we start to realize, like, if we look into that abyss, are we going to see them staring back at us, or are we going to start seeing ourselves because now we're rooting for them? And how many times have we rooted for Hannibal to escape when we know how bad some of the actions he's done is. Or how many times have we hoped like, oh, he'll get away or no one will catch him when he's done some horrible things and he should have been caught for him. We shouldn't have been rooting for him. He's the villain. We're not supposed to be rooting for the villain. We're supposed to be rooting for Will at all times. And how many times have we like kind of stopped rooting for Will a little bit and we started rooting for Hannibal? And I think that's kind of showing we stared into the abyss and who was looking back at us? It was Hannibal. And he manipulated us and he got us. And the show got us kind of rooting for the villain when we shouldn't be. Hannibal's not a person we should be rooting for, but somehow Mads and the show got us to root for Hannibal. 
Hannibal is this mix between God and the devil, and I say that especially being there's so many uh, references to Paradise Lost, the Bible, the lost or non-canonical books of the Bible, the Divine Comedy, which was written by Dante, and actually Hannibal gives a speech about that, and one of my favorite quotes from A, that show, and B, just in general from the Divine Comedy, is May My uh, Home Be My Gallows, which is a reference to Judas, where he hung himself. Hans Zimmerman actually did the music for it. It's very good. And I actually made a reference to it in my um, in my book that I talked about last time. I completely forgot about that until right now. And it is actually when, um, right before Jack does his first murder. And it actually starts, I'm pulling it out right now. So you can probably, that's why you hear the paper. So don't mess with my audio, okay? I just, just pulled out the paper. And he's talking with uh, Pushka. And Pushka starts with, Io fe gibetto di la mia casa. I made my own. And Jack finishes home my gallows. And that is from the Divine Comedy. It's actually a very, 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 very famous quote. And different translations have it different ways, but that tends to be the most famous translation of it is May my own home be my gallows. Or I made my home my gallows. So it goes both ways you can hear um i've heard it both ways kind of 50 50 those ways as i made my home my gallows and may my or let my homes be my gallow in um hannibal's version both with hopkins and mads they are giving a speech about the divine comedy and judas and they say let my home be my gallows which really references this idea of hannibal blurring the lines between what is good and evil, and he somehow sees himself as both a godlike figure, but also a rejection of idolization, kind of like the devil. Because when you actually read into the Old Testament and some of the non-canonical books of the Bible, and also books like the Divine Comedy and Paradise Lost, and even some like art and poetry. You learn that God is not this whole pure being and that the devil is not fully evil because Lucifer was an angel and he was God's favorite. And so there is this kind of gray area that Hannibal is creating because he's allowed these gates to open with the thoughts something to our mind is if the relationship between God and the devil is not as black and white as we thought it was and how it's taught because if you actually even read the bible and other scriptures they talk about the devil and how he was god's favorite and even still to this day um people say that uh lucifer was still god's favorite and that he was the most powerful and that he didn't want to serve humans he wanted to serve god instead so there is this kind of gray area on on what should how we view them because also, like, many, I know I've spoken with people before, and, like, I know to, uh, I go to a pre-religious school now. I overheard someone talking, and they were saying that, uh, they were talking, I guess, I don't know where they stood with everyone. One seemed very religious, and the other one kind of, and he was saying, like, well, how can God be good if, like, he's flooded the earth? Or why do kids get cancer? Or why do drunk drivers survive the accident, but the victims don't? Like, why, how, how is that good? And so it kind of raises the question of if, that's not as black and white as we think it is or that we want it to be. How deep does that gray area and how vast does that go?
And also, Hannibal, the TV show, asked that question, but in a different way. We know Hannibal is bad, and we know Will is supposed to be good. But there's this such gray area between them as we start to understand them, and as all of us are manipulated by Hannibal, that we start to wonder how far into this gray area are we going. And again, think about how many times have you rooted for Hannibal in this TV show? I know I have, without realizing it. One of the most interesting aspects also of Hannibal is that he is a psychopath to the T, and he's a textbook definition of it. And one of the parts I really think shows just his mentality, and I think one of the ones where he kind of shows how he really truly views about people when, without any masks on and without, uh, with all the walls coming down, is when he's having dinner with Gideon and they're eating Gideon's legs. And... Gideon is talking about cannibalism and how, as humans, we've evolved out of that, and that this is a very, like, archaic and barbarian thing that Hannibal continues to do, and Hannibal actually responds with, it's only cannibalism if we're equal. And I think that kind of shows the difference between how Hannibal has no line he's not willing to cross. I mean, Will killed someone, and even though Will said that he enjoyed killing Garrett Jacob Hobbs, who was about to murder Abigail, and even though he said that he wants to kill Hannibal, Will starts to lose his mind and has many hallucinations about Garrett Jacob Hobbs and wakes up in sweat thinking about that murder and how he's afraid that he's going to hurt Abigail. So Will clearly has these, these morals that he's willing to uphold, and you can tell that killing even a criminal, and even though he says he enjoyed it and that he liked it, still kind of broke him a little bit, and he could not fully recover from that. And I think that's where Hannibal was able to slip into the cracks and kind of expand to break him. Where Hannibal doesn't, he kills everyone, even, even complete innocents, and even people who he says that he loves. He says that he loves Will and Abigail and that he wanted them all to run away together and treats Abigail like a surrogate daughter, yet... He does not view them as equal because he killed Abigail in cold blood to get back at Will for betraying him, and he did leave Will to die alone, bleeding out, and he left Jack to die too. And he pushed Alana out a window. So no one, because he views no one as an equal to him, no one is safe from him. And that's also what makes us, what makes it so scary, because if we were in that situation, we would have fallen for him too. It's very easy to be manipulated by Hannibal and people not even as extreme as him because what Hannibal does is kind of textbook the definition of grooming and creating emotional dependency between him and other people. We don't even need to have extreme empathy like Will to know that the humans can be easily manipulated. I mean, have you been manipulated before and that wasn't even someone nearly as close to the level as Hannibal is. I mean, even just like something like um, TV ads, how many of them have manipulated you into thinking you need something, and that's just someone with the intention of just trying to sell you something. Now imagine someone that actually has very ill intentions like Hannibal does. How quickly would you fall under his spell and become dependent on him, whether emotionally, physically, financially, sexually, and be exploited by him because everyone did. Jack, Will, Alana, his psychiatrist that I'm forgetting the name of right now <laughs> and so many other people kind of fell for him in different ways and were completely manipulated by him to think he was a good person and all of them were shocked 
when kind of they were faced with this reality of who he is and what he could do. I mean, I always remember the scene of Alana walking into his house with his gun, with the gun from her bag, and Hannibal is all bloody and with the two knives in his hand, and he's slamming his body against the pantry door to try to get into Jack, and she's just like, Hannibal, where's Jack? And he's just like, he's in the pantry. As he's standing there, like his nose is all bloody, and he's all bloody, and his white shirt's all ruined and he's standing with like two butcher knives he's like yeah he's just in the he's just in the pantry i mean the shock she had on her face and then when abigail pushed her out the window because abigail was manipulated and hannibal told her that he could take her away and make everything go away and that she pushed alana out the window i mean poor alana i felt so bad for her and that's why i think she became the way she is in season three and honestly I don't blame her. I really don't. I mean, Alana cared both about Abigail and Jack and Will and Hannibal and that whole world kind of came crashing down on her and she was left to have almost everything up until that point. So what also makes Hannibal different and from other serial killers and from the other versions of him that were in the movies and books? I think pretty much between the stylistic choices that Mads, the director, and other people on the team made with him. I mean, the show goes into excruciating detail to talk about and show him preparing his food. And the food and how it's prepared is nothing short of art. It is incredible the level of detail that goes into his cooking and what the show kind of illustrates. It is not something we think about when we think about cannibalism. I mean, whenever I think about cannibalism, I always think of like, barbarians and they're just sitting there and they're like eating it off the bone like you know when like you watch like those old like um like i came in like the dinosaur like movies and there's always like the people and they're like eating it right off the bone or like the um not the flintstones but like something else but you know what i mean like usually when we think of campbell's we think of like these savage people like they're dirty they're kind of like cut off from society they're usually like deep in like the jungle or the mountains or like antarctica and they're kind of just like like monsters we view them as where hannibal flips this on on its head and does the exact opposite he's portrayed this european aristocrat he wears nice suits the food looks delicious aside from that like fish jelly and you know what i'm talking about if you if you've seen the show you know the fish jelly aside from that the food presentation is beautiful. It's not just him savagely eating off the bone and like picking raw meat out of his teeth. No, like these are delicacies he's making. He speaks Italian, and not just Italian, but like archaic Italian and translated divine comedy. He speaks other languages. Everything is a presentation. He has these dinner parties, these nice wines that when you actually look up the name, bobs are worth hundreds of dollars. I mean, he, he eats this one dish with Will and it's like these little birds and it's actually illegal to have because you fry the birds alive i believe but you wear a napkin over your over your head to hide the sin from god and um i mean like that that's a delicacy like that that meal is worth thousands and thousands of dollars and he doesn't i also think that kind of brings back his thing of with god and the devil is he uh, is um he says i have no reason to hide from god when Willis's arm was supposed to cover our heads, and he's like, I, I don't have any reason to do that. Kind of also putting him on this pedestal, like he's more than human. He's something else. 
he knows art, and if you look at his house, it's immac like immaculate. His office is immaculate. He is so put together, and the clothing and the set designs that surround him, I think, continues to flip this image of serial killers and cannibals on its head because usually we see them as a, these disheveled people that have like these issues like not even like issues that's the wrong word but like we see them as like these disheveled like savage people and Hannibal is the exact opposite at least the way he presents himself I mean if you saw Hannibal walking down the street you'd be like that's a that's a gentleman that has his life together he's rich he makes good food he has be a beautiful girlfriend or wife wherever you look at it he has friends he has a successful business he hosts these elaborate dinner parties he's smart he's intelligent he's got a good degree i mean he looks so put together and has this facade of being this perfect person and that's the exact opposite of what we usually view serial killers and cannibals to be he flips that entire stereotype on its head and that is how he also kind of manipulates us because we would never think that someone that is presented like that would be what he is. Like, he's a true monster, but he presents himself as the exact opposite. He almost makes himself so human to other people that it makes us, even the audience, forget of what he's done, even though the entire time we know what he's doing. Before Will, before Jack, before Alana, before everyone knows, we know what he's doing. And yet we continue to uphold him as some, like, high-class aristocratic man. I mean, he speaks multiple languages. He knows so much about food and art and literature and philosophy and religion and psychology and medicine. And he's doing all this on the side. It's just a mask, and we forget that. And it causes us to go deeper into his manipulation with him because, again, like, would you ever also think your therapist or your psychiatrist would kill you or, or frame you for murder? And he does that to multiple clients. He's killed multiple clients. And he manipulated Will and Alana and Abigail and Bella and everyone else. What also brings the show to new heights is not just the writing and the character, well, the acting. Not just the writing and the acting, it's the cinematography. It is a full team effort, this. And we've talked about team efforts before, but it's so rare that everything works together so well like it did with Hannibal. So, this is the greatest example of show, don't tell. I mean, if you look at the violence in this show, it's presented as art. And sometimes it's even like, we'll see them compared to the actual pieces of art that, or the sculpture. And there are actually uh, people that have compared them side by side, and sometimes in the movie, I mean, in the TV show, it's compared side by side. But you are meant to cower away from it. You're meant to look at every detail of it. And I usually tell people if they're not good with gore that the show isn't the best for them. But there was never a time I felt like it was too much, if that makes sense. It was controlled. It wasn't for that shock value that most horror or most TV shows now give. Like they want that shock value. It was to add to the story and also the inner workings of Hamble's mind. He saw his his killings as art. Like that's how Will always says, like, this is my design. That's how he always finished it afterwards. This is my design. This is how you're supposed to see it. You're supposed to bask in the glory of what I've just done. 
I mean, like, they're posed as angels, they're posed as paintings, there's the totem pole. Everything is with such detail that it kind of makes you think of it as art. And that's why I think Will always says, this is my design. Almost like he's an, the sculptor that has created this. I also think that continues to kind of elaborate the show because again it's not this shock value it's to add to the story and in a way it kind of brings it to a new level another thing that's also used with many of the violent scenes is the work of shadows and the best example i can give is when mason verger is uh, cutting off his face and feeding it to dogs and then himself it's when I think Hannibal like gives him like mushrooms or something. It's like this uh, orange powder, and I believe it was mushrooms, because it was very similar to what he had gave um, Abigail and Will, and those in the past were mushrooms. I'm assuming it was probably the same thing. The shadows lets us see a little bit of what's happening, but not the full image of it, and that could have been a really like gut wrenching shocking scene that could have gotten them so much attention but they didn't do they didn't cop out like that the shadow masks most of verger's not only face but his whole body and will's dogs that are all around him you barely see them you kind of only see like a little bit of his face to know he's there because it doesn't want to distract us from the primary focus and was that primary focus the conversation that will and hannibal are having that i think is the difference between this show and so many other violent shows the violence never takes away from the main point of it. It adds to it. I mean, we see the sophistication of some of these killers and even Hannibal's mind, but it doesn't take away from the important thing is we're not supposed to focus on the murders. We're supposed to be focusing on Hannibal, and it never takes away from that. And going off of that, Will's extreme empathy and his analysis of these murders and the crime scenes also helps us get further into the point of view of him and Hannibal and primarily Hannibal being Hannibal's kind of pulling the strings all the time and because he's manipulating Will and Will is starting to see things through Hannibal's eyes at the end of the day the whole show is through Hannibal's perspective at least that's how I always saw it a lot of people say it shifts where I'm like no I think it always was through Hannibal's perspective because he was always one step ahead of them and he was one always whispering in people's ears and getting people to do certain things. Now, we've seen a lot of crime shows where people will talk about what's happening, but I've never seen them do it the way that Will and the writers do here. Instead of like other cop shows where like, oh, the killer did this and the killer did that, or like they'll like reenact it like in Dexter, we physically see Will do it. And he'll narrate them, like in the first episode, he says, I shoot Mr. Marlowe twice, severing jugulars with near surgical precision. He will die watching me take what is his away from him. This is my design. That first person, that third person separation of these killings and the reenacting of them create a huge difference. We physically and, and mentally are seeing Will do this and we're seeing his deterioration as we're going. Because it's one thing to see your character talk about it or reenact it. It's another thing to see your character put himself in that situation. And we, we'll see Will actually reenact it. 
My favorite is when he's at the table and everyone's panicking and he slams his fist down and goes, no one leaves my table. And it really shows how into these thoughts he gets and how deep into the ideas of these killers that he can really put himself in there and we like will see him kill people in his mind to reenact these. We also see his um, hallucinations and because we're seeing these through Will's eyes too, we don't even know if they're real sometimes. And so when he asks someone else in the show, like, or if he asks Jack or Hannibal, like, is this real? Am I truly seeing this? Like, don't lie to me. It's something like we're also saying, like, hey, is this real? Are we really seeing this? And don't lie to me, the audience, because we don't know what is real. There's no, like, subject, there's no objective view to this. We're always either seeing things through Will's eyes or over Hannibal's shoulder. We're never on empty that's able to walk through the story. It's the two of them pulling us through the story. Everything is subjective. It's never objective. I don't know if you noticed that when watching it, but I did like Silence of the Lambs. I feel like the camera was its own separate person where I feel like in Hannibal, the camera is still connected to Will or Hannibal. And when they're not in there, that's when the camera feels really disconnected. But we get so close to Hannibal and Will, both physically with the camera and mentally with the story, that it's almost as if we are them. Because even when you look at the scripts, it's it will say Will's POV. Like, we'll start with Will's POV. Like, it wants you to know we're looking through his eyes. And then it'll switch to Hannibal's POV, and then it's like him cooking and everything. So they want us to see us through that perspective. And going off of more of Will's hallucinations, the Wendigo, or the stag man that they call it, that is constantly seen, it's the all-black, really skinny, almost skeleton-like man with the deer antlers, or sometimes like an actual deer he'll see. And that is, I've always believed it was a Wendigo, and I've heard other people not call it a Wendigo, but I've heard some people do, but I, I think it's a Wendigo, and I think the argument for it being a Wendigo is much stronger than anything else. Because a Wendigo is an Algonquin mythological creature. It's actually kind of interesting because um, the Algonquin tribe was actually native to my area in New York. So we learned about that a lot of them in schools. And I remember in um, elementary school in fourth grade, that's where we learned a lot about New York history. And I remember learning about the Iroquois and the Algonquins. And I remember someone telling us about Wendigo and I was petrified of them. And I forgot about them for the longest time until I started watching this again. But Wendigo is a mythological creature who is a human that transforms into a monster after consuming human flesh. And we see the Wendigo be a figment of Will's psyche and his mind in reference to Hannibal. If you actually notice, as Will starts to understand Hannibal more and starts to see life more through Hannibal's perspective, the Wendigo shows up less and less. In the third season, he barely shows up. In the second and in the first and second, he's there almost every single episode, multiple times, just lurking around. Or like the deer will be in his mind, just lurking around. And in season three, we don't see a Wendigo or a deer as much. So I always thought that was very interesting that the Wendigo is Hannibal's like symbolism in Will's mind, and it makes sense. A Wendigo is a normal human being that became a monster after he started to consume human flesh, and what is Hannibal? 
someone who's human that turned into a monster when you started to continue to eat human flesh. I think it was a beautiful comparison. I think there was, I think if they could do it anywhere else, it would have been a piss poor representation or symbolism. I think I think this was the perfect, perfect mythological creature to compare to Hannibal. And I don't think, I think if you tried to do anything else, it would have been bad and would miss the mark. The one to go was the perfect hit, but it also didn't hit you over the head with it. I mean, if you knew the story of the Wendigo, you you could get that extra level of it, but I don't think you even need to know what a Wendigo was to understand that that was Hannibal, and that deer was always in Will's psyche. So I always thought that was very interesting. I really liked it. So, I bet you're wondering, Emma, are you one of those fanables that wants a season four? Absolutely not. I did not sign that petition. And why? Because I don't think the show jumped the shark. I think it ended perfect the way it was. When TV shows run for so long, that's when they jump the shark. Just think of Supernatural. Or Gone Girl. I'm not, not Gone Girl. Or Gossip Girl. Gotham. Pretty Little Liars. The Flash. Riverdale. Pretty Riverdale jumped the shark season one. But anyway, so many shows jumped the shark. And I feel like the character's legacy and the legacy of the story is always ruined when they try to pump out those extra seasons. I think the three seasons was perfect. Absolutely perfect. There was a clear arc. Everything was wrapped up nicely. I think it was 36 episodes. I think that was the number. Three seasons, I think 12 episodes each. Perfect. Because every character had a nice arc that wasn't drawn out. Every story had a closing argument to it. The, everything had the inciting incident, the rising action, the climax, the resolution, and there was nothing dragged out. I never once watched the show thinking, when is this damn storyline going to end? And because there wasn't so many seasons dragging out, they didn't forget storylines or forget characters or this and that. Everything just had its place and everything just ended the way it was supposed to end. So no, I don't, I don't think there should be another season. I have to admit, I think if there was to be another season, I don't even think I would watch it. Because I would not want a reboot of a show that I think ended perfectly. Because I also would not want it to tarnish the legacy of that TV show that I think was way ahead of its time. I think if it was to come out now or even during like 2020 when everyone was home watching, I think it would have gone through the roof if it came out then. I mean, the CGI is a little bit dated, but other than that, it's beautiful. And even then, I wouldn't even say the CGI is all that bad dated. I mean, of course, this was seven years ago, almost ten years ago when it starts, almost seven years ago when it ended. So, yeah, I mean, like, CGI, of course, in the past ten years has gotten a lot better, but even then, I wouldn't say it was bad CGI. I think it was great the way it was. And honestly, I, I hope they don't bring it back. I know there's that big petition, there's talk about it, and then it fizzles out, and then there's talk again, and there's always fizzle, it always fizzles out, and never like anything comes of it. I really hope they don't. I think it was perfect the way it is. I think it ended great. I think it did justice to the legacy that Hannibal is. I think it did justice to uh, the cast, a, a stellar cast, a fantastic cast they had. And I don't want that to be ruined for them. I think that's something you could see they put the whole heart into it. And also to pick up a show seven years later, I don't think is a good idea. 
So I don't think there should be a season four. I think the three seasons is perfect. And I think they're all on to bigger and better things now. I mean, oh, Mad Megleson's just doing fantastic. I watch almost everything he's in. But yeah, I think, I think the three seasons was great. And if you actually want to read the scripts, I actually found a website. It's thelivingdeadguy.com. If you actually just type in Hannibal full episode scripts, I think he's like the second website that comes up. He has every single script, including the diagrams and reference photos. It's really cool, the scripts that he has. And I, I read through them just kind of see, like, how, how did they format that? Because I know scripts are very, like, specific the way they do. I've always wondered, like, how, how did they format the Hannibal script? Because... I've never seen a TV show like that or anything like that, so I've always wondered how they did it. Really cool. Highly recommend checking that out if you're interested to see the behind the scenes of that. And yeah, if you haven't seen Hannibal, highly recommend it. I like it better than the books. I like it better than the original movies. I think it's great. I think the cast is fantastic. I think the storyline's fantastic. Everything about it. I, I don't have a lot of bad things to say about it. I really don't. It's one of the few shows where I, I can constantly go back and keep watching it and keep finding new things. So I did promise that um, this episode would be better, longer, and more in-depth. Because again, I did, I did like the TV show a lot better than the books. I did not click with the books. It was a drag to get through them. I did not like them. But the TV show I absolutely adore and I've seen multiple times. But t tell me what you think about it. Do, do you like it? Are you as in love with Mad Mickelson as I am? And... What is your view on Hannibal? Do you think he is a good villain? Like, do you think he's a well-written villain, a well-constructed one? Do you have a villain that you think is better? Let me know. I definitely think Hannibal is one of the best villains ever written. And we're going to talk about other kind of villains that are also written. I mean, we're going to talk about um, Hans Landa, who um, is a very well-written villain. We're also going to be talking about um, Michael Corleone and his kind of downward spiral into becoming a villain. We're also going to talk about who's kind of the villain in his book. So we're going to talk about other villains, but I definitely think Hannibal and the way Mads um, portray him is just leaps and bounds over other uh, vi uh, villains and criminals. I mean, it's just absolutely fantastic. So next week, we're doing a little bit of a different spin. I actually want to talk about the Manual for Politeness. It's almost a 200-year-old book that I have. So we're going to be talking about that because I'm very interested to see what is in that and how 200 years ago we were supposed to behave and act it's actually right now sitting in plastic bags my allergies do not go through because it's all like mildewy and old and it does have mold in it but like it smells like old book it's all dusty and i don't know how to clean it and then to wrap up that week because we're talking about different generations of politeness and social management we're going to talk about fathers and sons which is a russian novel um which by trugina which talks about the difference between generations and how fathers and sometimes it works and something like this works but anyway thank you for stopping by and as always this has been the notes from the library